and standing for our scripture reading. It comes from Psalm 119, beginning in 41, then going through verse 48. Psalm 119, 41 through 48. This is the word of God. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Father, again, we on your word, we ask may wield his sword training us in righteousness and thoroughly. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, to me, least, least that seems to have emerged in the last 10 or 15, probably You've heard of life coaching, perhaps life coaches are these people you how to organize yourself, tell you how to goals, potential in all ways. And, and one of the key features of life coaches is that out of this whole new profession emerged a, a number of new terms. And one of the new terms that attend to the profession of life coach is the term life goal and that 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 term life goal i think is where one life coach puts it this way life goals give you focus when your goals are top of mind you're immune from distraction and able to remember and appreciate why you're expending your energy and effort toward achieving that particular milestone now, the relevance that that has for our text, of course, the idea of life coaching and life would have been foreign, but there is some overlap because in this section of Psalm 119, we get a clear picture of the psalmist's goals in life, the psalmist's priorities in life, the things we see this really in two ways in this section of Psalm 119. First, we see it through the prayer that he offers to God in verses 41 through 43. Requests half in verses 44 through 48. What we see are his own objectives in life, things that he in the priorities that he tends to have. That he has offered to the Lord. So we see his through his prayers first, and we see through his own uh his, his own objective uh life 
priorities. Now, if we were to summarize this and ask the question, what is it that holds these together? His priorities in prayer, resolutions in life, there are different directions we go. One commentator, in fact, Charles Spurgeon, suggests that connect these two things is the the fact that he goes forward first with his priorities and the particular priorities that he brings to the case that he is above God-fearing man. True, whether or not it's the unifying text, that's certainly true. He does go to the Lord first, and that's notable, and we'll have to Look carefully at what he asks of the Lord. John Calvin, looking at this same section of Scripture, of his life and the resolutions of his life, but he summarizes it really in terms of the promises of God. And that, too, is woven throughout this text, because what we will see is that he prays according to the promises of God, and then he resolves to live according to those same promises and in light of those same truths. Well, in either case, section ends with a petition for the most needful things, the most important things, the first things in our lives, and then leads to confident objectives or life goals that build entirely on what God has done. Now, perhaps at this point, one of the psalm that I gave several weeks ago tonight. Quoted this before the psalm, and I think we section this psalm contains, he says, the anatomy of experimental religion, the interior liniments of the family of God, it is given for the use of believers in all ages as an excellent touchstone of vital godliness. And that could be said not only of the whole psalm, but actually of this section here. We see clearly what the psalmist is concerned about in prayer primarily, and what the psalmist is concerned about in terms of the actions of his life goes out from his closet in seeking after the Lord. So let's look first of all at part one. What is it that the requests? What does he request from the Lord? And again, this is drawn from verse 43. What are the psalmist's priorities or goals in prayer? Well, first we see this in verses 41 and 42. What the psalmist verses there parallel really in some ways is praise that God's steadfast love and salvation would be granted to him. We need to talk about this a little bit because I'm sure you're aware this term in verse 41, steadfast love, is one of the key biblical terms, one of the key theological terms introduced to us in the Old Testament. You know that Hebrew word chesed, and it's translated here as steadfast love. What what the psalmist asks for first is God's great blessing that he offers to sinful creatures. 
That is that in the midst of our sin and rebellion, in the midst of the fact that we are by nature children of wrath, what the psalmist fully recognizing his own sinfulness requests of the Lord first is that the Lord would give to him, grant to him his covenant faithfulness, his covenant blessing. Now, you know, again, the history of this, but I'll remind you, of course, the the way in which a few, few in which this term is used in when we hear from Moses, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Or we might think forward to the words of the prophet Isaiah. may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall be removed, says the Lord. This is the reality. In the midst of their sin, and goes to the Lord and appeals to the Lord's steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness to his people. Of course, the Psalms are full of expressions and expositions of what this word means. In fact, the Psalms are replete with references to God's chesed, his steadfast love. Psalm, in the midst of his suffering, says, but, but I steadfast love two ideas that the psalmist brings together here in verse 41 <laughs> lord let your let your steadfast love come to me that that covenant faithfulness by which you save your people and 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 upon and to which we appeal for your forgiveness and and to which we look in, in the midst of uncertainty in the midst of suffering in the midst of calamity let that steadfast love come to me lord and then you notice the parallel phrase in verse 41 your salvation according to your promise it's worth considering as well because we could say that salvation here is steadfast love. I think that's right. But you notice what he adds in verse 41 in that second section. He, he adds things to me. And I mentioned earlier that this for Calvin was the theme of this entire section of Psalm 119. That what the psalmist is doing here is he's praying for God's salvation. He's praying for God's covenant love. He's according to his word. Now, I've mentioned this before, but again, it bears repeating in Psalm 119. One of the, one of the repeating themes, the prayer, 
the model prayer of the people of God are prayers which are based on the promises of God. So, so you remember of that, that great example in which we can see this played out is this prophecy of Jeremiah, and he calculates the that Jeremiah prophesied, and then he according to the words of Jeremiah. He, as it were, says in his prayer, after confessing his sin and the sin of the people to the Lord, says his Lord, now promise to do. I, I see what you promise. I have calculated the number of years. Now I'm asking you to do it. And that, that's to be the model for believers, that we pray promises of God. And the best thing to do for your prayer life, if you want your prayer life to be enriched, if you want that Kind of communion of the Bible speaks it. The, the best thing you what happens is this you, you come, it's all the chaos that's happening in your mind, all the distractions that you're. And, and you bring those to the Lord, and you bring those to the Lord on the basis of what He has said. No desires, what you know, know He is. And in so doing, you're asking the Lord for the very things that the Bible tells us God Himself desires for us in our lives, and God Himself is where we go astray. Comes to this matter of prayer we leave the bible on our about to the lord now of course the lord tells us to bring a request to him to to cast our burdens on him it's not naturally start with all burdens and all our concerns but what the bible teaches us is that we're to filter So we go on the basis of Scripture, taking those burdens and and asking Him for the very thing we know He desires for us. What a great comfort it is to have these promises guiding us in life. This is a great section near the end of Bunyan's facing these final our this these troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God hath forsaken you, but are sent to try you whether you will call to mind that which heretofore you have received of his goodness and live upon him in your distresses. And, and then and then Chris rises uh, in his mind he what it is that hopeful is saying and he oh now I see again. Because he tells me, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. As they shall overflow thee. And well, what's happening in Christian's mind is as he's facing this dark hour of distress, he is promises of God. And it's in bringing to mind the promises of God and then praying accordingly and acting accordingly. that we get in this 
verse, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, that greatest of all requests, that most primary, most foundational request, according to your promise. And then we see the result of that. The result of it is in verse 42, which is in that situation, being taunted, even when I'm being assaulted from the outside, even when others around me doubt, I have an answer because I trust in your word. You see, that's what happens because the circumstances of life arrayed against us in such a manner that we, we all in all of those circumstances, he's looking to the word of God because all of it is according to the promise of God because his, even his prayer is guided by his Bible. What's his second request? The second request comes in verse 43. The second request is this. He puts it this way. Do not take not the word of truth utterly out mouth. Now, what's he saying? Well, it could be the case that what he's saying is he's asking the Lord that he can declare God's word. He talks about it coming out of his mouth. But I think it's probably more likely that he's somewhat more generally than that he recognizes how much he has to lean word even when he comes before god in prayer and so what he's his word will always be present with him that god's word will always be active in his life that god's word will always fill him and fill his thoughts and fill even his requests to the lord and certainly his conversation with others have you ever noticed in the scriptures oh Severe and be described for us in Amos 8, where the Lord says, Before, Behold, days are coming when I will send a famine on the bread, nor a thirst for water. No, 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 much worse than that. Words of the Lord. You see, I think this is part of what the psalmist is requesting from the Lord, that the Lord would keep his word at the center of his thoughts, at the center of his conversation, at the center of his requests. Nothing worse than a famine of the word of God. You know that Satan, of course, endeavors always the Lord is describing the parable of the sower and the seed. He says this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then their hearts that they might not believe and be saved. Even as the praise that God would continue for him with covenant. Great danger. Fear is that God would take away his word, take away the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. You know, who profess to be Christians, I've seen this phenomenon take place 
I, I've seen professors who, who at one time uh, claimed to follow the words of Scripture, claimed to believe that this was the Word of God, and gradually time, their confidence in God's Word has, has diminished subtly, but eventually confidence in the Word of God even plays out in their speech. And so five years, Taught and he taught a sincere heart, but but and in a sense he he himself his confidence in God's word is diminished, and so God's word has been removed entirely from his. See, I've seen this happen with pastors. I've seen this happen to begin to in their own personal lives or as they face frustrations in their congregation or there were things that they've studied that have that have by the, the end of of their ministry of God left and we happen in denominations we've seen this happen in congregations confidence in gradually become focused on other concerns and other issues. The word has been taken out of the mouth of a denomination or taken out of the mouth of an individual congregation. Psalmist is pleading according to the word, and he's pleading that God might continue by, by his word to sustain him in his word according to the promises of God. Now, in the second section, we see the answer to this next question. What does God of requests? Which these requests asked in faith lead to? What's the, what, what are the implications for the psalmist of God giving him covenant faithfulness, giving him salvation, and keeping his word in his mouth. What does it look like for the song all of these things? Check for us. The attitude he expressed in verses may well be the attitude. It's the prayer that you pray. But in verses 44 through 48, we see what a, what a transformed heart that has had that prayer answered for it looks like. What this leads to. And, and, and we're reminded, of course, that genuine transformation by God. Let's praise for in verse 40. He's done lead to. In 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ. And, and this is the same kind of inseparable connection between heart transformation and a different kind of life. Receiving God's steadfast love and salvation and having God's word preserved in your life has consequences. What are they? Well, 
first verses 44 through 45, what the psalm declares is this. Walk, verse 45, in a wide place. And I want you to see what he says very clearly in, um, in, verses, in these two verses. He, he, he not only for him from a transformed life, from real salvation, but he's not only committed He's actually seeking out the precepts of God. He sought out. Now, again, this theme we've seen even in this psalm. In my whole heart, I seek you. And, and he uses this same term in verse 45. Precepts. I, I've sought out your word. And I'm going to word that's my intent we see this other parts of the psalm as well and day seek the lord i sought the lord and he answered me but here he specifically identifies the fact that he's seeking the lord yes of course but the lord's precepts the the, the word of god and the question that we have to ask ourselves as we read this he's he's committed to keeping god's word But, but he's also committed to seeking. And, and I wonder if your attitude toward God's word is, is the same attitude as the psalmist. It be said of you that, that you are because of God's transforming work in your life. goal of your life connected faced with a problem when faced with a difficult is your first recourse to ask what does god's word say about this does the bible speak about it? I, I need to study i need to god's word that, that's what leads to walking in a wide place. That's what leads to obeying his commands in a careful way. He seeks precepts of the Lord. Secondly, in verses 46 through 47, we see another implication of this. He talks about speaking of the testimonies of God before kings and not being put to shame. But look at what's connected to it. In verse 47, how is it that he does this? Well, he does it because he's speaking out of God's commands. He's speaking God's commands out of delight in those same commands. See this saying, well, I give the right answers to those who ask because I know that I'm supposed to as a Bible-believing Christian. No, no, what this is... I speak of your precepts and I'll, I'll, I'll tell them to anyone. But you notice why? I'll tell them to anyone because I delight in them. I, I walk in a wide place because I seek out your commands. 
I, I speak your word liberally and freely because it's my delight. It's, it's my joy. And again, I'm ahead of you. Would your would even speaking and preaching and proclaiming the word of God are these things fueled by delight in God's word? Is even your study fueled by delight in God's word? So often, even our duty to study God's word is fueled by something far, far lower than delight in it. That's the song. See him say this in verse. I will lift hands toward you. Another question, and I think rightfully so, about what exactly the psalmist is saying here in this third implication in verse 48, this, this third resolution that he has. Because, of course, can be used in different is used to denote different things in the scriptures lifting up of hand 28 and lamentations 2 and habakkuk 3 can be used in terms of prayer and there would be a certain symmetry there this begins with prayer and and your commandments we see this same take us nine to bless others and so some commentators argue that, in fact, he's saying, I'm going to bless others according to your commandments. We see it used in Genesis and in Exodus as a oath according to the commandments of God. But most likely, actually, and we see it used this way, this lifting up of hands used in this way to as to, to do something or to act according to the word of God. We see this when describing the Lord. The psalm in Psalm 10 says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand and, and do something about our affliction. The kind of thing we see as well in Hebrews. The writer to Hebrews says, Lift up your drooping hands. And strengthen your weak knees. And then he goes on to say, pursue holiness with one another. I think that's probably the most likely other activities as well. Because I believe what the psalmist is saying here at the end, that of a formed heart to ultimately do all that he does, whatever he does, whether he eats or drinks, do it all to the glory of God or to use the psalmist language, do it all in accordance with your commandments. To live my life from the time I go to bed according to the word of God and I meditate on the word of God so that I can do it. John Calvin puts it this way when commenting on this phrase. By this, he makes us to understand that if we should serve God as becometh us, it's not enough with our mouth, but we must also show it 
by our good and godly life, that which we protest with our mouth, that there be a, an accord and a sweet harmony between one and the other. Calvin's saying, we, James is saying, chapter two, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but doesn't have works? You see the progression here. What he's doing is you're seeking after the word of God place and walk in a wide way. You're, you're speaking and you're speaking out of delight in your heart, the commandments of God. And then ultimately, everything I'm doing, all the energy I have, all the time that God gives me, sources he provides, I'm use those to obey statutes. Well, if this section of Psalm 119 is really of what we mean when we talk about experimental draw from this passage. Well, first, I think we can this as we kind of obedience that leads to a, an entire life lived according to the word of God comes from a heart transformed by the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you of what he says. Verses 41 and 42 are predicated on God doing the work of transforming us in salvation. Verse 43 is a request, and it's a request based on a, a, an internal hope and confidence that the psalmist has. My hope is in your word. Take your word out of my mouth. Verses 44 and 45, these results are come from a heart seeking after God's rules. Uh, verses 46 and 47 talk about his speaking, and his speaking comes from delight in God's law. And verse 48 is based on his love for God's commandments. And there he picks up on what he asks God for in verse 41. God, give me your steadfast love, and I will have a heart that loves your word because of it. True obedience, full obedience, a full orb life in accord with the scriptures comes from a transformed heart, a heart transformed by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have to say this, that the theology of the psalmist is that all glory for his transformed life and for the works that he does and the words that he says, the actions that he takes is due to God because it's his work and it's according to and as a result of his steadfast love. And yet at the same time, I think we can also say this, that there is a clear and active commitment and an example here to seeking and speaking and delighting and lifting up the hands in accordance with God's commands. Is this same uh, interest in devoting your whole life in service to obedience to the Bible something that would be true of you? Are you making every effort along these lines such that it could be said, I love Would this even be said of your efforts here in training for the ministry, which of things should be motivated by delighting God's word and of all things should be something that you give your whole self God has done for you. I think perhaps the example of the Apostle Paul is one that's worth Turning our attention to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says this, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. And that's the 
theology of the psalmist here. His grace toward me, though, he says, was not in vain. How do we know it's not in vain? How does he seek to prove that to us? Well, on the contrary, I, I worked harder than any of them. And he goes on, of course, to add this, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Now, when we can say that, when that is true of us by the grace of God, and I think we can also echo the words that one poet used in summarizing all of Psalm 1 when he wrote, Your law, O God, is our delight, your statutes faithful, true, and right. And then asks this, confirm your word within our hearts that we may not. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the day that you've given us. For your word. Bring to your word, cause us to delight in it. And we ask all of this in your name.